seated. The grass withers and the flowers fade, the psalmist tells us. But the word of our Lord abides forever. And so we proclaim that word today. Years ago, Tony Campolo told a story of going to a high school track meet and watching um, the mile run four laps, and the runners got on their marks, and most of them were tall and thin, but among them was a kid who was carrying a lot of extra weight. He had short legs and heavy feet. The starter's gun went off, and they all broke from their blocks and ran the heavy kid was left behind. The space between him and the other runners widened as the race went on. He was trying hard, but he was losing ground. And some of the front runners lapped him, and then everyone else passed him. Eventually, all of the runners except him had finished the race. He still had a lap and a half to go. Time stopped on that field, but the race didn't. It couldn't stop until he crossed the finish line. Ground crews were waiting to set up the hurdles for the next event. All eyes were on the big, red-faced kid pounding down the track, exhausted, all alone, agonizingly slow. As he came around the last turn, a woman in the bleachers, obviously his mother, stood at the rail, leaned over, and screamed at him, Run faster! As he ran past, the kid turned and looked at her, his expression incredulous, as if to say, really? That's what I need to do? Run faster? If only I had thought of that by myself. He made it to the finish line, and then he collapsed. That woman in the bleachers, Campolo said, is the way some of us see God. A God who is watching us, is disappointed in us, is embarrassed by us, is berating us, is screaming at us, run faster. Run faster. And nothing we do is good enough. Nothing we do makes any difference. Doesn't matter how hard we try, we're still losers. Run faster. The scriptures we read 
today give us a very different picture of God. Jesus said, and we heard these words earlier, come to me all you who are weary, exhausted, and heavy laden, carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. I won't scream at you. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am meek, I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. In Jesus' day, the rabbis talked about the Torah, the law of Moses, as a yoke. Uh, Whenever oxen pull a plow, two are yoked together. And one of them is more experienced than the other, knows the routine better than the other one, knows what to do, knows when to turn, knows when to stop, knows the commands. The young ox follows the lead of the experienced ox, And because they are yoked together, stays on track. Some rabbis made of the Torah a heavy yoke. Its rules became a crushing burden. And talking about these rabbis, Jesus says in in Matthew 23, they tie up heavy burdens too hard to bear, and they lay them on the shoulders of others, but they themselves are unwilling to lift a finger to move them. They do not, Jesus said, practice what they preach. And the Torah, meant to be a gift, something meant to set you free, becomes too much to bear. Heavy, a list of rules that describe what you must do and what you must not do, down to the finest details. And the burden is to get things right, to try harder, run faster. But Jesus said, my yoke is not like this. Take my yoke upon you. Follow my lead. And rather than an oppressive burden, you will find rest for your souls. You will not be alone. I will carry the yoke with you. God does not watch from the sidelines, but shoulders our burdens with us. As the psalmist says, our steps are made firm by the Lord, who delights in our way. And though we stumble, we will not fall headlong, for the Lord holds us by the hand. In other words, God is for us, and we carry no burden alone. That's good news. That's very good news. From his own experience, the Apostle Paul speaks about the same. 
And the prophet writes to a people longing to be set free from captivity, from exile in Babylon, longing to come back home, people whose hopes have been crushed, who carry a heavy burden, who long for restoration of what has been lost and almost forgotten, people for whom time has stopped. They are stuck with no way out. In uh, the movie Groundhog Day, which most of you have probably seen, uh, the main character, Phil Connor, a Pittsburgh TV weatherman stuck in Puxatawney, Pennsylvania, lives the same day, Groundhog Day, over and over and over again. The weight of time, the weight of that one day becomes a heavy burden for him. And he starts to despair. And he sits in a bowling alley bar with a couple of locals. And he asks, what would you do if you were stuck in one place and every day was exactly the same and nothing you did mattered? And one of them finally answers, that about sums it up for me. When you have no hope, time itself becomes heavy. And that's what exile is. Stuck in a place you never expected to be, doing the same things with the same people over and over again, with no prospects that anything will change, with no chance you'll ever get out, with no hope. Into such a world, God comes to his people through the prophet, people who have been crushed, and he comes to them with a word of comfort and hope where there is none. It is the promise of a servant, someone who is chosen, who has God's blessing, God's good pleasure, someone who is filled with God's word, ruach, with God's spirit, God's breath, and will bring justice and vindication and hope, not just to his own people, those who uh, are lost in exile, but to the nations, to everyone. Klaus Koch translates the uh, Hebrew in verse 2, he will not cry out, he will not shrilly draw attention to himself, nor will his voice be heard in the streets. People who are already tired who don't have much hope, don't need someone screaming at them from the bleachers. If if you're already carrying a heavy burden, you don't need an angry motivational speech, however well intended. You need someone to help you shoulder the load, to lighten the load. It's true 
that sometimes God's word breaks down walls and needs to break down walls. Sometimes God's word needs to shatter resistance, bring people to their knees. Here again from Psalm 37, I have seen those who are the wicked oppressing, towering like a tall cedar. And then I passed by again, and they were no more. They could not be found. God's word can tear down and clear a path. Amos said, let justice roll down like a river and righteousness like an everlasting stream. But more often, it reaches down and lifts up the broken and the lost. In 2nd Isaiah, God's word does not rage. It comforts. It's not raucous. It's quiet. The servant described in Isaiah 42 describes the Jesus who speaks in Matthew 11. Come to me, all of you who are exhausted, and I'll give you rest. Hear that again. Come to me, all you who are exhausted, and I will give you rest. A bruised reed, Isaiah says, he will not break. A dimly burning wick he will not quench. Those who are bruised, near breaking, will be comforted, healed, made whole, their long exile ended, brought back home, no longer shamed or threatened or punished, but delivered and set free. And for those whose light has almost gone out, who have little reason to hope, their fragile light will not be snuffed out. You are the light of the world, Jesus said to his followers. Let your light shine so that everyone can see it. The light of hope shines brightest in the darkest places. These have been uh, difficult years for many, especially the vulnerable and those who feel vulnerable. Some smoldering wicks have been snuffed out and reeds bruised and already breaking have been broken. There is increasing there is increasing nastiness and and bitterness to this world that we live in. Some days uh, there are more threats than words of comfort. Our own denomination is bruised and breaking under the strain with people of conviction staring at each other over a chasm that mercy and truth spoken in love and forgiveness should bridge. As we seek, as all of us seek, to do what is right and live together under the reckless grace of God. In Luke's gospel, 
chapter 24, a text that is appropriate for these troubled times and for this sixth Sunday of Easter, two disciples walk down the road on the way to a village called Emmaus. And they are disheartened. They are discouraged. They are bruised and almost broken. The light of their hope has all been but snuffed out. And a stranger walks up alongside them and with a quiet voice, a quiet voice, he asks them, what are you talking about? Tell me, what was it I heard you talking about? And they tell him about all the horrible things that had happened in recent days in Jerusalem, the death on a cross of the one they thought who they said was going to redeem Israel. But now it's all gone to pieces. They are alone, they are afraid, they are vulnerable, and they are helpless. And most of all, hopeless. And this stranger unpacks their conversation. He quietly asks them more questions, putting the broken pieces of their story back together, gently suggesting, mostly, that maybe God has not abandoned them, that God is working through their greatest loss and disappointment for something good. And the heavy load they carry is lightened just a bit. The light of their hope, flickering and almost gone, is stirred to life as Jesus talks with them. They ask him to eat with them, and it is in the breaking of bread that they recognize him, and they realize they are no longer in exile, no longer alone, no longer carrying the burden by themselves. From death comes resurrection against the odds. Carl Olson, a uh, beloved and sometimes terrifying uh, professor of English literature and church history and president of North Park, was celebrating communion many years ago and he told the story of the Emmaus Road as he broke the bread and, and, and blessed the cup. And he reminded us that it is just when we are most discouraged, when the light of our hope is nearly gone, when we are about to collapse under the weight of our burdens, the burden we are carrying, that the risen Lord walks up alongside us, is there with us, and is there for us. What burdens are you carrying this morning? Where are you bruised and breaking? What makes you weary? Maybe you are carrying the suffocating weight of grief, like the disciples on the Emmaus Road and you are picking up the pieces of your life, still looking for someone who is gone. Maybe you are exhausted 
from trying to hold your life together, working two jobs, and you don't have either time or money, and you can't rest. Maybe you are working through conflict with someone you love, and there is no end in sight, and you are tired, and you just want it to stop, but it doesn't. Maybe you have accomplished everything you ever wanted to do, and you feel empty and tired, and you wonder, this is it? Maybe you have been used and abused and excluded and forgotten and ignored just because of who you are. And you have been rejected through no fault of your own. And you are tired. Maybe you are battling addiction. Maybe you eagerly eat salt when you are dying of thirst, to borrow a phrase from Frederick Buechner. You want to break the cycle, but you can't. You don't know how, and you're tired. Maybe illness and disability are the yoke you carry, and it's a struggle just to get out of bed or to move without pain, and you are exhausted. Maybe the constant stream of invective and raw anger and sarcasm in social media and in our daily news feeds and in our politics has left you exasperated and disheartened and your wick is smoldering and you're just looking from some shelter from the angry wind that blows all around us these days. Into our exhaustion, whatever reason, you are tired, come these words. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light and you will find rest for your souls. Let go and let me take you through. Derek Redmond was a strong sprinter for the United Kingdom at the Olympic Games in Barcelona in 1992, and there were great hopes placed on him. And running the semifinal of the 400-meter sprint, 250 meters from the finish line, he pulled a hamstring and he collapsed on the track. Some of you may remember that moment. He collapsed on the track as other sprinters ran past him and finished the race. In excruciating pain, Redmond got up, he grimaced, and he began to limp. He limped down the track, tears filling his eyes. And in one of the most moving moments in Olympic history, his father, Jim Redmond, pushed through the crowd and walked out onto the track and offered his son his arm and his shoulder. And yoked together, they walked slowly to the finish line. I'll never forget that moment. He lost the race, of course. But he was not alone. A bruised, 
read, we read in Second Isaiah, he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not quench. That's the good news for all of us who are exhausted, tired. Remember this. You are loved. You are held. And God's mercy is indestructible. And it's ours. Thanks be to God. Amen.